Hi, I'm Chimsy. And I'm Hazel. I'm Malign. I'm Scottish. And together, in partnership, we're hosting the People to People podcast. And in Chichewa, it's Antu. We're exploring the unique partnership between Scotland and Malawi by having people to people conversations. We're having conversations with as many people as possible in both Scotland and Malawi to really dig deep into what partnership means. And to find out how people connect with people. And in this episode, we're talking about purpose. So I've been thinking pretty much all of the people that we've been speaking to have this thing in common, that they have found purpose. You're right. And it's not just about them wanting to do well for themselves. You know, it's about being part of a greater good and wanting to help other people along the way. Yeah. And they want to do that well. They want to do that effectively and respectfully and maybe even joyfully. Do you think that having a shared purpose is really what makes a partnership work? It may be. Yeah, so I had a really interesting conversation with Karen Chinquita, and she identified something that I thought was really interesting about the purpose, shared purpose in Scotland and Malawian business. Karen is the executive director at Jubilee Enterprise, which is a social enterprise in Malawi, and it runs a consultancy and offers support to other social enterprises. Hmm. It sounds like they've been doing amazing work trying to build a network of small communities of, you know, like-minded businesses and entrepreneurs in Malawi. They have. And guess what? Go on. They've been doing that in partnership with the Social Enterprise Academy for Scotland. Hmm. That's very interesting. She came to Scotland, didn't she? And in this episode later, we get to hear about that. I remember walking into Alistair Allardyne's office when he was the Minister of International Development. And he asked me a funny question. He said, do you feel like an equal sitting at this table? So you can hear her 22-month-old baby in this clip who's sitting on her knee throughout the conversation, which is quite appropriate as she's talking about including family and community in her development vision. Malawians cannot think of developing without community. It's very difficult. We really want to develop with your family. Why do you want to be wealthy and not your sister and not your brother and not your cousin? We're also going to hear from Kate from Orbis Expeditions. And you love Orbis Expeditions, don't you? I do. Uh, So I came across Orbis about two or three years ago, maybe. I found them on Instagram and I was like, oh my goodness, here's a cool company that anytime I find a company that does work in Malawi, I'm like so excited and so invested. I'll take like time out to investigate what they do and when I came um, across all this I was like oh they do such great work and I think as a runner too I looked at mainly the challenges that they did so in recent years they've done work up Mount Mulanji where they've invited people to do to take part in trail running around Mount Mulanji and I just thought oh, oh my goodness that is so cool and I remember sending Kate uh, a message on Instagram I was like oh can I join next time um but it is it, it is quite pricey but they're doing an incredible job so yes I am fangirling so they're really involved in taking a lot of Scottish groups and people to Malawi um, on trips but that is obviously very difficult at the moment with COVID. So we're going to hear a little bit more from Kate about all that. How much right do we have as a business partner to say, could you tell us exactly where that money's going? Is it going to the health clinic? Is it going to the school? Or is it lining your pocket? So I was going to give you two quotes. Okay. And the first quote is from Buddha. Right. Your purpose in life is to find your purpose and give your whole heart and soul to it. I really like that. 
But then I'm also like, what is my purpose? What do you think your purpose is, Jimsy? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I feel like last to make a really good podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I feel like last year and this year, I'm like on this journey. I'm like, what even is purpose? Like, what is my purpose? Not just in my own life, but you know, in my community, whatever that is, you know, the running community, like my family, what is my purpose? I don't know what my purpose is. It's something to do with being a, this is really cheesy, but like being a mom, being a storyteller. Okay. That's a good purpose. It could change though as well. Yeah. I think it probably does through your life. Yeah. Okay. Here's another quote. Okay. (laughs) Nothing is more creative nor destructive than a brilliant mind with a purpose. Nice. That was Dan Brown in Inferno. Uh, do you know him? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's a writer from like the Da Vinci Code and stuff like that. Yeah. Like thriller books. He's not, he's not the Buddha, let's no. face it. But he does have a point. <laughs> but I think he probably does have a point, which is just that, um, you know, when you've got that force behind you, you're like, I have this purpose. I'm helping people. It could be quite destructive because you will believe that you're in the right and you're doing this for a greater good, you know? Mm, true. Yeah. I think that's quite interesting. Thanks for those quotes. This is the essence of this episode. We're going to be thinking about finding a common purpose, setting out with one purpose and then adapting it and changing it with experience, and just thinking about the drive that purpose gives a project and a partnership. So later you're going to hear from Karen and Kate, but we're going to start with our conversation with Professor Robert Kalin. I've been to many, many different countries. And what I've always tried to do is when I go to a new place is not project myself or what I'm involved with through my my career, um, but rather try to understand what it is that for the people on the ground there. So Robert is a professor of environmental engineering for sustainability at Strathclyde University in Scotland. He's also the director of the Climate Justice Fund Water Futures Programme. So he has a lot of experience rocking up in countries where the water infrastructure is insufficient with a purpose, access to clean water for all. But he doesn't just bulldoze in as an expert. He really tries to listen first and make a connection with the people that he meets. Of course, everybody always says the warm heart of Africa, everybody's friendly. Well, that was definitely the case, you know. So this is the story of the first time that Robert visited Malawi. And so we stopped off at a bottle store and I had a cocoa pina and I was sitting outside drinking the cocoa pina. And this gentleman walked up to me and said, ah, so, so you're obviously not from Malawi. No, I'm not obviously from Malawi. Um, He says, well, do you know Strathclyde University? And I said, well, actually, yeah. And he said, I went to Strathclyde University. And we got talking and things like that. And it was suddenly just like a connection and a friendship. That continued in the number of years I've been working out there that just the people on the road, the people in the villages, the people at the bottle store, the people in the town center or the market center, you're bound to run into somebody that has a direct connection with Scotland. And that's that's quite amazing. Yeah. Okay. Robert, but was it really the people or was it the Cocopina? Could you please explain to Hazel what Cocopina is or to anyone who is listening and has absolutely no idea what we're talking about? Oh, it's it's hard to describe what all the different flavors are, but it's 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 a a, a citrusy pineapple-y type of thing and it's it's just it's a really nice drink. 
Have you tried che- <laughs> Have you tried cherry plum? Yeah, I've tried cherry plum and all the other ones, but the, uh, for some reason, the cocoa peanuts is just really hit a spot with me. And so, if they wanted to start importing something from Malawi, cocoa peanut would definitely be worthwhile. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to try some one day. So Robert talked to us about a huge project to do with water points in Malawi. So the Millennium Development Goals came before the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and there was eight of them, and they were to do with AIDS, child mortality, gender inequality, environmental sustainability, maternal health, hunger, education, and global partnership. But the deadline to meet those was 2015. And now we're working towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So here's Robert. The Millennium Development Goals were about giving people access to basic things that they needed. So um, there was a big push when those first came out. There's a Johannesburg Summit. Everybody's, oh, we got to fix these things. And lots of investments started going into things like water points and sanitation and so on and so forth. Um, But then toward the end of the Millennium Development Goals, we realized we weren't quite on track. And so quickly, everybody said, oh, look, we wanted to meet these goals. We wanted to give universal access to water. Malawi is behind, so people invested very hard, which is fantastic, but they invested hard and fast, which means they didn't necessarily have the time at that point to think of the long-term sustainability of these investments. I think it was the right thing to do because people were getting water. However, it left a, a history of how do we actually manage this, and this is the challenges we have now with sustainable development goals. So Robert has been looking at the reality of what's actually going on with these water points. About 18 months ago now, we started a big national mapping. And literally this Friday, we finished all all the data collection for the entire country. And the whole thing will be complete by this Friday. Wow. The whole country is quite enormous. And you're in lockdown in the north of Scotland. Uh, so I presume there's some big partnership going on there. There were NGOs out there that were working together with us. We had um, Water for People and World Vision and United Purpose and Baseflow and, and Bowie. Um, we've worked with CARE. We've worked Catacomb. So there's a whole series of people that we've been working with. And right now we're to about, uh, about 125,000 water points we've actually visited across the entire country. And on average, about 65% of that is working the way it's supposed to. Like 65% doesn't seem very many to me. Like, is that even a pass when you do an exam? <laughs> it is. It is a pass. That is a pass. Is it? Yeah. Oh, of okay. course. But I feel like... I don't know. I was a straight A student, so 65% I would have been quite disappointed with. Wow, Hazel. <laughs> 65 is definitely a pass. <laughs> Anything over... Really? You'd be happy with that? Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very happy. I'll be like, oh, wow, I am doing a great job. I would even give myself a pat on the back. But 65% of water points working doesn't seem very good. No, I guess when it's, you know, the entire country, then... Yeah, I mean, we're talking about people without access to, to water. water. So, yeah, not, 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 not really good. But it's a starting point. It's just good to be clear that we're not shrugging off the importance of this work that Strathclyde Uni is doing in Malawi. I guess the key point is that we need to know where the boreholes are, whether they're working or not, so that repairs can be made and funds directed into the right place. Because the important thing is that communities get reliable and clean water, right? Imagine you see the boreholes, you see everybody pumping. You go out and you look at this borehole. It looks like it's in pristine condition. It's hardly been used. And you say, well, well, what's wrong with it? And you ask the people and they said, the water's salty. 
So it tastes really salty. And in fact, from a health point of view, it's probably not good for them to use it. And it's probably not good for irrigation because it's too salty. When somebody was rushing in to put that water point in, they, oh, let's get it in. Let's get bricks around it. Let's get all the cement in. Let's get the pump working. And they do that as fast as they can so they can get on to the next point. They never bothered to stop to measure the quality of the water before they finished putting all the infrastructure in. If they had actually initially just tested it, they would have found out it was too salty. And because it was too salty, they should have just abandoned that point and gone on and spent the rest of the money somewhere else. This, unfortunately, is found throughout Malawi, and not just Malawi, but other countries as well, that in this rush, we didn't necessarily do all the right things as we're putting the investment in. So how are we improving? How are we taking this big collective push and making it into something that is sustainable? When you put in a water point, you're supposed to have a community water point committee. And generally, you like to have it gender balanced or slightly more women on the committee than men. And then they can help through training, understand how to manage um, collecting tariffs, managing it, how to call a a borehole mechanic to come and fix it. What we need to do is engage with those people and understand how they're working. But what you really need is national level and at district level all that data coming together. So if they need new budgets coming from the Malawi parliament, they can actually ask for the budgets from the Malawi parliament. So we work together with the government of Malawi from the top, from the the ministry, through every single district. We worked in every single district of the country and then had their water monitoring assistance to go out, stand by their borehole and collect the data that they needed to understand. I, I suppose the important thing is It's not us as Scottish people doing it. We're actually working together to find out how we can support the people in Malawi to collect the data that's good for the people in Malawi. Scale projects that are happening, if if we can some way or another make sure that all that comes together as a, as a, a valuable change to a country and capture, especially like the Scotland Malawi Partnership does, that civic society interaction. I think that people-to-people thing is something that's really, really important and may oftentimes be lacking in other donor investments in other countries. I think the people on the ground always have that passion, but linking that passion and understanding through the programs is, it may sometimes be challenging. You're listening to the People-to-People podcast with me, Hazel. And me, Timsey Tory. We are exploring the unique partnership between Scotland and Malawi. And today's episode is People and Purpose. The Scots are naturally warm, friendly and loud, which is who Malawians are. We are warm, friendly and loud. We wear our hearts on our sleeve. We're not pretending for anybody. It's who we are. So it's nice to meet a country where you feel you've connected and you more or less love family. You love community. Malawians cannot think of developing without community. It's very difficult. So there is actually that African proverb that's pretty popular right now. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We really want to develop with your family. You, why do you want to be wealthy and not your sister and not your brother and not your cousin? This is Karen Chinquita, Jubilee Enterprises Executive Director. The recording isn't very clear due to the circumstances, recording in a pandemic at home surrounded by children and builders with a dodgy internet, but the warm regard that she has for Scotland comes across loud and clear. 
And what was blowing me away when I went to Scotland was to find people saying, you know what, the government can go focus their resources there. We as a community have been able to start a business, come up with finances, and we're fixing our water supply. We have redone our electricity. We have proper systems running in our neighborhoods. And I'm like, that's Malawi. That's the Malawi I want to see. I want people to stop saying, Dr. Laz, do everything for us. And say, Dr. Laz, go to the south of Malawi where there's a flood. We are able to do things here. <laughs> I felt that mutual passion that Scotland wanted to see us grow and become a people of our own, not over dependent on donors or even on our own government, to be able to feel we had what we needed in our communities. Time to rewind a little bit. And we're going to hear the story of how Karen ended up sitting in Scotland, in Parliament, with the Minister for International Development. But we need to go back a bit to 2015 and the start of Jubilee Enterprise. Obama came to Kenya and had this whole push about entrepreneurship, youth, we can do this, climate change. And people were excited. The businesses we wanted to build, we wanted them to change their communities, to change the, the people around them. But we didn't know how to put that together. So we just blundered our way through <laughs> from 2014 to about 2015. We'd get jobs to train, to build capacity. We'd get hired by the British Council. In 2016, we sat down, I think in December, our last board meeting, and we were like, you know, we need to do what we are about. We want enterprises that change the society. We agree that's what we want to do, and we agreed on it as a board. We just didn't know where the material is going to come from and what's going to happen. February 2017, Rachel Milson from the Social Enterprise Academy comes into Malawi to interview five organizations if they could partner. And it just made sense. So it was like, you know, I don't know, rainbows and hearts and violins and Cupid. It was a match made in heaven. For three years, we would build 200 social enterprises. We would put together a sector. It was just exciting. And then, well, the pandemic happened and financial issues came up here and there. But what I would say was a beautiful journey. We created a network. It's a strong one. It's still going. So during those three magical years, Karen came on a trip to Scotland. When I walked into the Scottish offices in Edinburgh, um, I would be respected as a technical expert in my field. That I knew where I was coming from. I knew the businesses there. I knew the people. And in return, we expected them for having the capacity building skill and learning how they did that. I remember walking into Alistair Allardyne's office when he was the Minister of International Development. And he asked me a funny question. He said, do you feel like an equal sitting at this table? Do you feel like we've given you as the Scottish government leverage to be able to speak up as a Malawian and have the same power and clout that a Scottish person has on the other end, has our balancing of the funds we give to you, giving you that feeling that you are, well, respected. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I asked Karen for an example of someone who has really shone as a result of Jubilee Enterprise and their partnership with the Social Enterprise Academy of Scotland. And here's the story she gave me. A lady called Generos. She was working at Opportunity International Bank. So they were a social enterprise bank that was going into a merger to become something more commercial. And she didn't know if she wanted to be part of that. They had been used to working with communities. She was a business trainer. So they went to an introduction to social enterprise training. And when she saw what it took to be a social entrepreneur, what she needed to start up, she went 
sold her car, took the money, went to a rural community, started a social enterprise, and now she supports 200 women with business training and access to capital. Scots really shouldn't be shy to be part of the initiative to be part of Maui's development because the skills that are needed here um, is a little bit of everything. There's just so much more to happen. So don't be shy. Um, show us what you got. <laughs> you know, um, two kids are at a preschool um, playground way before Corona. What we'll do is um, you look into your friend's container and you'll open your container. Like, what have you got? Well, you want to share that? And then you'd swap. Let's do that. <laughs> It's actually really nice to hear that because I do worry and I think a lot of people are worried that they're going to do more harm than good, that you're going to come in, especially like post Black Lives Matter and everything, everyone being very aware of their own privileges and just thinking, you know, there seems to be so much in the media about people not behaving appropriately. Do you know what I mean? Well, um, our media feeds off telling us the negative things. But mm. there is still a lot more good that could be done from being friends and being partners. Bad stuff will happen. <laughs> That's life. But just think of all the good you could do. There are already best practices out there. There are already organizations set to help you do what you need to do. All I can say is it's better to, you know, have loved than lost than never have loved at all. <laughs> Try. I love that. That is how I live my life. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to the People to People podcast with me, Hazel, and me, Chimsy Tori. We are exploring the unique partnership between Scotland and Malawi, and today's episode is People and Purpose. Oh, did you know, Chimsy, that the purpose of Orbis Expedition actually has a hashtag? Oh, what is it? Hashtag trade not aid. Oh. Yeah. Okay. On their website, it says, we aim to think of our purpose as a fluid idea that is enhanced by long-term collaboration, grown through mutual cross-cultural respect, and inspired by what we have seen, experienced, and heard. Okay. I but I do. I like the idea of your purpose changing mm-hmm. according to your um, experiences. Yeah. That's really nice, isn't it? Yeah, that's good. Here's Kate Webb, who runs Orbis Expeditions with her partner, Dom. Dom and I, we've spent the last 17 years of our life building a business which we're not able to to do at the moment. Um, And because we can't furlough ourselves because uh, we're directors, there's just nothing. There's no kind of financial support for directors. So, yeah, we've we've had to make redundant 95% of our staff in in Malawi, which is just devastating. Um, We paid for them all to be made redundant. And yeah, just trying to keep on our last two staff members and just trying to, it's basically who can, who's got the deepest pockets to last the longest in the tourism industry. And it's just, yeah, it's just really sad. Um, There's so much potential for tourism to have such a huge impact on the sort of the economic resilience of communities within Malawi. And it just provides an amazing alternative to waiting and being given things and being part of the aid community it gives you an opportunity to be empowered and to actually have your own business and all of the small operators that we work with in Malawi whether it's your guides at the mountain or someone teaching somebody how to cook or they've got a business and the pride in having a business I think 
is incredible, whether you're selling clothes or whatever it is, it's so much more empowering than just waiting for that next round of funding, which you're going to apply for, in my opinion. I think to, when tourism works well, what we have always tried to do is we've always tried to make sure that the benefits of tourism reach local people. And I'm not just talking about like the cultural benefits, I'm talking about the economic benefits. I think that this is really important that if if visitors are going to go into areas um, of of Malawi, let's say that um, haven't haven't had very much tourism, um, then there's a there's a real opportunity, and there's therefore a responsibility to make sure that that's done well. So, for example, every time any of our groups or or individuals or families or whoever it is go into uh, one of the communities that we're linked with and they learn about the work they're doing they get hosted by the community they see a school whatever it is that they're doing then we pay um, we pay for that service we see it as a service we see it as if you are going to Buckingham Palace and you're getting a private tour you would pay for that private tour and so therefore the community organization invoices us just like a business and we see that as a really empowering way of doing business and so when we talk to the community partners that we work with, we say, we want to do business with you. Are you interested in doing business with us? We're not here to give you anything. We're here for you to offer us a service and for us to pay for it. For when it doesn't work well, um, one of the communities that we work with is in Mangochi, and they've had a huge amount of visitors in the past. So um, a lot of the times when... Uh, our, our visitors go in there, there's, there's a real tendency for people to say, um, can I have your email address? Can I have your phone number? Um, you know, I want, could you pay for me to do this? Could you pay for me to do that? Or I can't go to school or look how poor I am. I need your help. And that's been something that we have um, tried really hard to work with the communities to sort of sensitize them to thinking more of their you're already gaining a benefit from this person to being here because they're already paying to come and have a look and that money is going into your community pot or whatever. Um, but it is not, it's not as simple as that because quite often when an invoice is paid by us, um, it's very hard for us to track exactly where that money does go. So if you're paying £25 to go in and spend a day in the community, how much right do we have as a business partner to say, could you tell us exactly where that money's going? Is it going to the health clinic? Is it going to the school? Or is it lining your pocket to pay for fuel for your car, whatever, or airtime? So I find that very big sort of challenge of what exactly is our role? Because however you look at it, it's however you try and make it as a business partnership, it's still a case of, one person is coming in with a huge amount of money to somebody that doesn't have any money. And therefore, that's always going to create a bit of a problem. And how do you show transparency over that? I mean, when I was doing my master's, someone, my professor came in and he said, the thing you will learn, you're all here for answers of how to do international development and how to work in emerging economies. And actually what you'll find by studying and by learning and buying in these environments is that the more you know, the less you know, and the more you know, the more questions you have. And I think that that is really, really true with our work. But I think the important thing is, is to question and is to say, oh, that worked really well. That didn't work very well. Why did it not work well? And try and, 
and just not to give up. Kate is not only interested in creating opportunities for Malawians, but also in changing the lives of Scottish school students. We host a huge amount of schools from Scotland, for 20 to 30 schools per year come out with us um, to Malawi. And the, I mean, the, the impact of a young person age 16 coming out to Malawi is, is huge. You can't, I, I'm now running those sessions online, virtual workshops with schools. And it's just, you can't, it, it's incomparable. You, you can't have that same experience. You can't have that same, uh, get that same tingle, that same inspiration as you do when you come out. Like a lot of the young people who've come out with us have gone back. They've changed their university decisions. They've chosen the companies they work with because of their experiences. You know, the whole point of doing these kind of trips and offering opportunities like this to students is so that they become more aware of the, the world and they broaden their horizons and they understand why we why we look after the climate why we think gender equality is important why it's important that we meet our targets for the sustainable development goals and that everybody has access to a fair education you can't get all of that unless you get out of your bubble because otherwise it's just your mom or a teacher saying to you turn off the lights do this do that whereas actually if you visited a community where if they lose their crop of maize that's it, like the buck stops with them, they can't survive if they see directly the causes of the famine, drought, hurricanes, all those sorts of things. That's the stuff that changes you. If you smell that wood smoke in the evening when you're driving back to your hotel or you experience, you know, 90% of your time is blackouts in Malawi because of ESCOM going down, that's the stuff you remember. It's those experiences. Um, so yes, there is there is the climate question when you travel and when you travel somewhere like Malawi. Um, and yes, we do provide a range of different offsetting. We support an organization in Zomba, which uh, does reforestation there called Trees. That's a locally owned organization. And we're also doing a new partnership with a macadamia farmer um, who's based in the UK. And we're going to be doing some stuff um, offsetting a lot of our our, not only our flights, but also our, our carbon that's used when we're taking people around in Malawi as well. Um, but I think that the greatest offset is the is the kind of person you come back and be and your determination to um, really uh, educate yourself and, and others about the wider world. Every single one of our trips has elements that are based around learning to do with the sustainable development goals and to do with your role in the world as a global citizen and the carbon that you use to get to Malawi and that you use while you're there, your footprint, I think is even, it's offset even if you don't pay for it through an organisation, it's offset because your mindset has shifted and your, your determination to think about not just yourself and your community is huge and stays with you for the rest of your life and is more than you know 30 pounds that you pay to plant a couple of trees we're coming to the end of this episode but don't worry we are going to come back to what kate's talking about here we'll hear some other experiences from scottish school pupils who've been on trips to malawi in our people and privilege episode our next episode is really exciting we've got people and perspective we spoke with Kathy Ratcliffe and she was really interesting to speak to, wasn't she? She was. You know, now that we've all under lockdown got used to communicating with each other remotely, 
hopefully that's bringing so many more communications and so many people in Malawi directly into discussions that otherwise we would just have been having in Scotland amongst ourselves. So all of this, I think, is really interesting. I have a treat for you to end this episode. Professor Robert Kalin, who you heard at the beginning talking about boreholes, is also a musician and has shared with us some of the music he made with Malawian friends. Uh, when I went to Malawi, I, I, I would, on the weekends, go and see local bands and go see, and got involved more and more um, with local music scenes. Uh, going to a bottle store on a Friday night with some musicians and playing for three or four hours of different music, you know, with, with bottles and um, um, trash can lids and, you know, for percussion and a guitar that only has three of its six strings, that, that type of thing. The nice thing about music, it's it's a language. It's It's like you listen to us talking. When you're playing music together, you're listening to each other. And you're speaking back and forth to each other, and and there are other art type of artists as well too. Um, I and I would say if we if we really want to enrich um, what we're doing, making sure that we're including those arts and those softer sides of things into what we're trying to understand makes our joint efforts on sustainability of water more than just a few scientific points. It makes it something that actually captures the hearts and minds of the people. The Wailing Brothers are going to play us out today with the final song on their album, Climate Justice, Water is Life, which is available to listen to and download and we'll link to it on our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Please like us, follow, tell a friend and don't forget to give us a review. If you want to get in touch, drop us an email at peopletopeoplepod at gmail.com. Let's continue the conversation. That I also was able to work with some other musicians, um, uh, some that were part of the Black Mission and, and some other ones, um, on an album. The whole idea was to to take some of these ideas of making sure the trees aren't cut down so that the water is is available for irrigation. Uh, thinking of floods, because floods can be important as well as be challenging, and, and making sure that forestation and flooding is, is, is managed appropriately. You know, that water is life, you know, and that we have to actually manage it appropriately. Body open the mansi, tiko si 
In this episode, you heard from Robert Callan, Karen Jinquita, and Kate Webb. It was produced and presented by Jimsy Dory and me, Hazel Darwin-Clements. And it was supported by the Scotland-Malawi Partnership. <laughs>